Amazon is promising the NFL what nobody else can. And Apple wants James Bond. This is episode 71 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin, over the hill, through the valley, <laughs> and to the north, on the other side of the, the Great Wall, uh, to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. And I don't mean to imply we don't get to the point quickly, Tom, because I think generally we do. We do? <laughs> Amazon is promising the NFL what nobody else can. This was kind of a cool article. Now, we know, we've talked about it on the show before, that Amazon has a deal uh, for $50 million to stream 11 NFL games to its prime subscribers. Right. $50 million, not a lot of money. Not a lot of risk there, wouldn't you say, Tom? Not, no, not for somebody that just spent how much for Whole Foods? I don't know how much they spent for Whole Foods, but I think I uh, invested every penny of it into Whole Foods over the years. So this is from a piece in, um, uh, I actually don't know where it's from, one of the advertising industry publications. Amazon is promising NFL advertisers it will track whether their ads get people to buy things on Amazon. Hmm. Interesting. Single source, Tom. Mm -hmm. You've got um, the distribution channel. You've got the audience, you've got the advertising, and it's all in one. And you've got the uh, merchandising uh, uh, piece, which is what makes it different from any other media platform, right? Right. Because Time Warner doesn't own retail. Time Warner doesn't own, um, you know, can't sell you books and DVDs and services and so on. So um, here's some of the bullet points. Amazon is planning to run traditional uh, national TV ads during NFL streams this year. The company's been touting its unique measurement capabilities in its pitches to advertisers. Down the road, Amazon, YouTube, and others will have an opportunity to reinvent TV advertising. So obviously what they're trying to do here is they're promising to help marketers figure out if their TV ads drive people to buy things on the web, particularly at Amazon. It's a really interesting thing and it's the first time i've seen anybody be able to put this together from soup to nuts am i wrong no i haven't seen it you're right i mean you know that w william gibson quote the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed yeah right <laughs> so right. so individual you know data validating advertising that's been here for a while now i mean we've Absolutely. talked about this i launched a business 10 years ago to integrate local radio and the internet to try to bring that capability to local and national advertisers, but it failed because the radio industry wasn't feeling enough pain to change then. But it will someday. The future will eventually be evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. But to your point, what makes this so powerful, because cable companies have had the ability to track consumer engagement for a while, right, through various mm -hmm. measurements and targeting tools. That's right. But the real key to the significance of this announcement by Amazon is the company's deep relationships with customers. Because once you log in with that Amazon account, now they know who you are. And that's what enables all of the rich data and the ability to personalize ads based on your, you know, your shopping history, demographics, location. Because remember, now part of this deal is if you run these ads with Amazon, you're going to get to run ads on Amazon.com throughout the football season. Right. That's how they're going to do this correlation, right? Right, right. And it's funny. Right. I mean, how many times have we talked about this? It all ties back to this really strange thing called buying stuff, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Proof. Yeah, show me that what I'm running is making any sense at all and moving the needle on my products and services. 
Okay, let me add a couple of um, side issues to this and tell me what you think about this because I had a couple of thoughts. There was one uh, note in this piece that said, Amazon plans to run conventional national ads during its time. It has uh, it, the time it has showing the same ads. By the way, the time it has, I think, is about two minutes per hour. Right. Um, in for the for the uh, uh, for the games broadcast over the air, those would be the minutes allocated to affiliates to sell on their own locally. So uh, they're going to run the national ads, i.e., the same ads to everyone across the country. So you might say, well, gosh, we've got all this personalizable information. Why are they starting there? Um, that's hardly revolutionary. In its pitches to advertisers, Amazon has emphasized its unique measurement capabilities. The, the sense of the author is that this creates the opportunity for them down the road to deliver unique ads to different consumers based on their shopping histories, where they live, etc. All the stuff you've been talking about, right. dynamic ad serving, which again is not new. Nope. What's new is the direct connection between that and the, the, the act of a purchase where you've literally got it all single sourced. Now, here's the question I ask, though. Um, granted, they will have that capability. It's interesting to me that they're not starting with that capability because they've, I mean, how much space is there between where they are now and that capability? Don't, can't they execute that uh, kind of dynamic ad, uh, atomized ad scenario today? Why do they need to start with one spot for all? And that leads me to ponder the question, well, maybe if you're Amazon, dealing with the scale they're dealing with, which is admittedly smaller than the scale of a network, but still pretty large, maybe the play is to go mass. Maybe Amazon actually has more to gain by providing more, by overlaying more data on a mass ad than they have to gain by overlaying more data on a small dynamic ad. You see my point? I do, but if, I, I, if you can make if you can make one big spot more valuable, is that more valuable than doing ten small spots? I, I hear you. I think that they're also dealing with huge inertia, right? So, so this this one big ad that they're going to run on the television set, right? Some some mm -hmm. high production Hollywood video type ad. Imagine trying to get. Whatever, whoever the brand is, to create 50 of those tailored to various locations, <laughs> desires, right. it's not going to happen, right? They're not going to do it. That's right. They're going to have a hard enough time creating the one. By the way, I was just going to say, <laughs> it's not just inertia. It's just pure practical reality. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. There are some people that can do some pretty quick stuff. But, but your point is right. So what they're going to do is they're going to look for the universal appeal or some kind of attention-grabbing visual video and then drive people to the Internet because they're already on the Internet. Right. And then they'll get the tailored ad. They'll get more information that fits them perfectly, which is it's kind of brilliant. But then the question becomes... Who are the advertisers that this is right for? Because you're not going to buy a car if you, if you see a car ad. I doubt you're going to buy a six-pack of beer if you see a beer ad. Well, this was the other thing I was going to ask you, which is this is great for categories in which Amazon is a serious player. But what about buying a car? What about buying a vacation? What about restaurants? What about 
you know, massages and, you know, <laughs> hair salons and other in-person services that aren't really, you know, primarily part of a, I mean, if you're looking to say, well, are people going to buy, you know, shave cream because there was a, you know, an ad for uh, Gillette, um, that's an easy uh, equation to solve, right? Um but it seems to me like the categories that, where they can really provide useful information are relatively thin as it relates to Amazon's incredibly rich um, you know, distribution platform. No, you're absolutely right. Look, there's going to have to be some real thought put into what particular categories and how to make this work, right? Because, look, if it's not some time-sensitive deal as well, I'm not going to go buy a can of shaving cream. Well, for what? I mean, I've got other things to do. I'm not going to go on the Internet and go searching this thing out. So it's going to have to be something that has some type of time-sensitive appeal. Uh, you know, you have to get it within a certain amount of time. Or, or maybe it's, I, I don't know, Mark, it seems, it seems like it might be right for, for movie streaming. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if you've got right. a big-budget movie that you're launching and you want people to stream it, and maybe they get a deal on it if they put it in their, in, in their basket today, you might be able to drive some serious watches that way. Well, look at it this way. If you're watching an ad on Amazon while they're uh, airing the, uh, an NFL game, and that ad is for a movie that's on Amazon, and there's a link in that ad on Amazon for that movie during that trailer, during that spot that you're watching, and the link says, add to my list now. Right. That's um, simple. That's like a no-brainer, right? That's so right? <laughs> simple. Yeah, that's so simple. And you can see that there would be maybe a unique category for that. But as you think about the people who advertise in these games normally, you have to say, well, wait a minute. Are we going to open this up to different categories of advertisers? Isn't it going to be the same advertisers with the, for the same motivation, advertising the same products for the same reasons to the same audience? <laughs> Especially given that we're not talking about... You know, we're, we're talking about uh, a category, NFL games, with very, very broad appeal, but it's very broad appeal to one kind of appetite, right? That's, that's <laughs> the trick. You're not going to be clicking a button that says, add Geico insurance to my, you know, shopping cart. That's right. So I think this is more nuanced than it seems. It just occurred to me that as I was reading this, that what this suggested to me that it, whenever we talk about digital, we tend to talk about personalizable, we tend to talk about addressable, we tend to talk about dynamic. This is a situation where I think what we're saying, what, what Amazon is implicitly saying at this stage is, look, we're going to have the same spots you see everywhere else. We're not going to divvy, divvy, divvy them up by individual characteristics, at least not to start. But we are going to be able to overlay a new layer of data on top of that. So the same old crappy commercials that you see everywhere else will be more useful for you, Mr. Advertiser, in that we will be able to give you better metrics on how effective the spots are. So it becomes not so much innovation with regard to targeting, but rather innovation with regard to effectiveness. Exactly. It's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, little study, case study, won't it? Oh, it's absolutely going to be interesting, and so is this next one we're going to talk about. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Apple wants James Bond. I just found this irresistible, I know Tom. you, you did. know we, we were talking about <laughs> topics, and I said, oh, I have to talk about this for a couple of reasons. That this is, uh, We all know the uh, James Bond franchise, which is what, like 60, 50, 60 years old, mm -hmm. as old as Sean Connery, <laughs> plus 30, right? Right. Um, 
The franchise and its future are up for grabs as Asian 007 is being viewed as one of the last untapped brands that could be a game changer. So the news here is that Apple, Amazon, both want a piece of the James Bond uh, franchise film rights. The film rights are up for grabs. You know, it used to be that there were these franchises that were floating out there as, you know, kind of independent assets like, say, Lucasfilm. Right. Those days are over. Well, if you think about the biggies, um, James Bond may be the last one. James Bond may be the last one where when a James Bond movie comes out, you expect it to generate a certain amount of attention and traction. And that is kind of an independent brand. It's still kind of owned by the heirs to, you know, Cubby Broccoli and his family uh, and and MGM, which you rarely hear the letters MGM mentioned anymore. But what they do the deal for is distribution, primarily theatrical distribution. And I guess Sony has had those rights for the for the for the past uh, two pictures, and now the uh, rights are up for grabs again. Interestingly, the emergence of Apple, which is considered such a viable competitor that Warner's, which had the uh, is pressing MGM to close a deal on distribution, and Amazon, shows that the digital giants consider Bond one of the last untapped brands, like a Marvel, Pixar, or Lucasfilm, that could act as a game changer in the content space. Apple's and Amazon's inclusion in the chase would indicate that more is on the table than film rights, Tom, including the future of the franchise if MGM will sell or license out for the right price. Apple is interested in cutting a larger rights deal or acquiring full ownership to exploit bonds largely unmined. This was the interesting part. Unmined TV potential. Valuation of the franchise may be anywhere between 2 and $5 billion, says an insider. In the world of Lucasfilm and Marvel... Bond feels really underdeveloped, says someone familiar with the bidding process. Tom, when I read that, I thought, unambiguously, that's true. I never really thought about that before. But if you think about, and now we use the term loosely, universe, if you think about the uh, Star Wars universe, which we used to think was a grand total of nine films, Mm, right? Right. Um, And maybe not even that many, remember? I know. (laughs) Will George want to make, you know, <laughs> seven, eight, and nine? We don't know, right? But we know he's going to do these one, two, and three now. Um, we used to think that four, five, and six were it. So now there's this entire universe, which is going to go on, as you and I have both said, for as long as we both shall live and then some. Um, James Bond, a movie every two years, a movie every three years. The next one's going to be 2019. Daniel Craig has just signed to do what is likely to be his last. That's only the tip of the iceberg with regard to the potential here. If you think about the licensing for James Bond, I'm hard-pressed to think of anything that's licensed for James Bond. If you think about how deep the universe is, the universe is only as deep as the next movie (laughs) and the previous movies. There is no television version of James Bond. There are no other characters in the James Bond spin-off sphere. That is all on the table, right? Waiting to be developed by the right suitor. Yeah. We've talked about this. I mean, the high demand for this, these blockbuster global intellectual property rights. You know, that, you know Disney paid, what, $4 billion for Marvel, and, and that was mm-hmm. back in 2009. Uh, we recently talked about Netflix buying the comic book company uh, Miller World. They developed Kick-Ass and some other stuff. And Amazon already owns the rights to the U.S. book rights. I don't know if you know that, to all, of James, to all the James Bond novels. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, they bought that in 2012. 
So what does that mean for them? I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the book rights, unless, you know, I don't think that it transfers over to movie rights. It's a completely different. Oh, I'm sure yeah. it doesn't, yeah. But so this is a modern day property grab, but it's not being done by force, right? It's, it's with money and talent. And $5 billion, when you're sitting on $260 billion in cash, what the hell is $5 billion? And that should make everyone out in Hollywood in that industry really, really nervous because they may just say the hell with distribution rights. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be proprietary. You want it? You got to come through us and get it. So in order, well, I think, right? I, I think that's part of the equation for sure that, you know, there will be, I mean, don't forget if they, if they are able to negotiate licensing rights, <clears throat> then that stuff's going to be all over the place, whatever that stuff is. I mean, Apple, uh, I mean, will, will Apple have, of course, all of these things have television manifestations now. So, you know, the James Bond TV series, young James Bond, uh, yep. you know, uh, Jane Bond, the female <laughs> James Bond. Um, members of, you know, MI, MI5 or what is it, MI5, MI6, MI6, uh, a show called MI6. I mean, all of these things can be developed once you own the rights to do it. And it is amazing to me, first of all, that this hasn't been done yet. Supposedly, the Broccoli family is just in, uh, uber focused right now on traditional film uh, distribution and rights. But, uh, you know, when you're making that kind of money hand over fist, you can afford to be narrow focused, um, but you're quite right. I mean, this is a gold mine. No, no, no gold finger <laughs> pun intended. This is a gold finger in the making, and it's inevitable that it's going to be incredibly valuable. I, I, it's just amazing to me that um, uh, that only now is this being surfaced. I think that's what surprised me the most. Now, what surprised me is is the power in 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 what cash can do, what investment can do. I mean, because Apple, you know, they grabbed away those, those Sony execs, right? Made them their new TV chiefs. I mean, right. these are people who, they produced Breaking Bad and The Blacklist, and, you know, they struck a deal with Netflix to make The Crown. Th- this is what should be scaring everyone, is they're just going to buy the talent. You know, Amazon is spending, what, $4.5 billion a year? on its prime video service. Netflix mm-hmm. is how much we talked about, over six billion buying and creating TV programs. Right. What right. the, you know, what's going on? It, this is a and, huge disruptive force that's happening right now out there. And Facebook says now they're gonna spend up to a billion, which is jump change. Yeah. Uh, Apple's billion, I'm sure, will be multiple billion in no time. Look, a deal like this would automatically make that billion chicken feed. Absolutely. Um, and I, I agree with you that it's inevitable and it is scaring them. The other thing that I think this, this tells us that is so telling is that there's always a market for the great content that the audience desires. And there's a scarcity of it. Um, it's hard to develop. It doesn't grow on trees. It's why there's so many Roman numerals at the movie theaters right, right now. But the reality is, but, you know, here we are 50 years, 60 years deep on James Bond, and it is unquestionably more valuable today than it has been at any time in its history. And it's because of all the media platforms, 
all the ways you can express that intellectual property across those platforms. And it's only waiting for someone who owns the rights and has the vision to uh, leverage uh, uh, those rights across platforms. And again, it goes back to the power and the value of a unique uh, and compelling content. And I think it's a reminder to anybody who's in the brand building space, especially those who are in the entertainment brand building space, that if you're not creating content with the idea that a whole lot of people are going to love it, um, you're not seeing um, the full picture. Not just that they'll love it, but if it has a, a really strong concept that the storytelling potential is unlimited. Look at Law & Order. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, people just keep watching it. They just keep spinning it off. CSI, whatever. So mm-hmm. think about what they can do with this with this property if they get their hands on it. Unbelievable. All right, it's time for rants and raves. <laughs> Tom. Tom. Okay, so I have a theory. I want to run this theory by you. <laughs> and if someone wants to run with it, it would make for a fascinating like sociological study. So my premise goes something like this. I believe there's a direct correlation between the labeling that appears on consumer products in the marketplace and the collective intelligence of the masses. <laughs> no, I believe it. Because you know what I, you know, you've heard of gluten-free water, and you and I have talked about various artisanal brands. Oh, here we go. This isn't artisanal. Have you heard of free-range trees? No. Okay. Isn't that what every tree is? <laughs> so, okay. If, you're going to hear about it soon because this new industry, the macadamia nut milk industry, they are charging into the U.S. market, and they're taking pot shots at the dairy and almond industries. On a carton of Chicago-based Milkadamia's nut milk, it says the company only sources nuts from free-range trees. And the cartons go on to explain that its milk wow. comes from trees supporting life, not trees on life support. Me- meaning that they aren't attached to, I guess, to irrigation systems like, you know, most almond trees are. Oh, okay. So that's life support. Yeah. Now. So that's, that's kind of like my free range rant. I, I don't know <laughs> where this is going, but I really believe that somebody should do some type of IQ testing out there. And, and, and I think it's based on there's some type of correlation, probably linear, on the absurdity of these crazy claims that appear on food packaging and our collective, if not intelligent, then at least discernment. <laughs> I love that. Free range trees. Free range trees. That's, oh man. <laughs> I don't even, I, 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 I know, I, I know. I object to anthropomorphism to that degree, you know, where the trees are, oh, I don't like this irrigation. I want rainwater. Uh, look. Yeah, the trees aren't doing that. <laughs> they made it up. Right. They made the term up and just threw of it on. Of course they yes. did. Free-range trees. And I'll bet it's, uh, I, have you ever had those conversations with a client or whatever in the first quarter? You, go, you come up with some term and somebody says, we got to trademark that. I say, how about let's decide whether it's even right for the brand and we want to be married to it for a while. It's better to own you know, it first. Before we worry about the legalities. All right. Um, well, I've got a couple. Um, and I want to begin with more of the rant. And I don't even know. This just brings me down to talk about. Oh, but you no. know, Tom, that I do a lot of work in the radio space. And uh, uh, broadcasters are, 
you know, a, uh, a, a, a troubled and quixotic breed nowadays. <laughs> um, this is, there are a couple of pieces in um, uh, Radio Inc. Uh, there was just this past week a uh, uh, National Association of Broadcasters radio conference, and the vibe was somewhere between kind of uh, alarmist and, um, 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 I don't know, uh, depressed, um, from what I can see from the trades. I wasn't there. Uh, one of the industry analysts predicted that the industry will see a revenue decline of 2% this year and will be either flat or up 1% next year. I don't, you know, flat or up 1% <laughs> essentially is, right. yeah, it, it's pretty easy to predict that. He said radio's ability to expand its audience could be the catalyst for radio over the long run and gave the example of smart speakers as one of the areas radio should be leaning. Um, a, a couple of things. First of all, um, <laughs> expand the audience um i think that means reach more people in more places but i here's the thing i've never really fully understood you know people are pretty smart when it comes right down to it at least with regard to how and where they get their entertainment from they kind of know what they want and they kind of know where to get it would you agree with that oh, more so than like nut milk sure yes more so than nut milk from free-range trees <laughs> so I, I think the idea, first of all, in all the statistics I've seen, I understand that smart, spe smart speakers, Google Home, Alexa, and so on, are the rage now. You and I both have one. Mm -hmm. we, we get the value proposition. How many times have you listened to traditional radio, a traditional radio station over your Alexa? Never. Um, I, the same is true for me over the Google Home that I have at home. And, and statistically, uh, the numbers I've seen show that relatively few people try to do this. The question of how easy or difficult it is is a separate one. But relatively few people try to do this. And I think the, the idea that somehow the next big thing is our next big thing or your next big thing is one of those kind <laughs> of, you know, memes that exists across all industries. Well, we will be saved by blank because a lot of people are doing blank nowadays and blank has an audio manifestation. So blank is our savior. So let's double down on blank, right? And smart speakers are the new thing. I think sooner or later, people need to ask two questions. One is, are we prepared to compete with the appetites that the audience has today the way they have them? Number one. In other words, is the content mix right? Is the feature set right around that content? Hmm. Uh, and then the second uh, thing is, um, d is the place they want us the place we are? And are we the right thing in that place when we're there? And I think we're not thinking of it clearly. When we think of these technological solutions, say, if only radio were easier to consume on um, Google Home, we'd all be out of the uh, out of the woods. I just don't think that's true, and I don't see any evidence to suggest that's true. If you look at the statistics, for example, you can see that the audio streaming of radio stations, traditional radio stations, not Pandora, Spotify, has actually been trending down over the past couple of years. So the idea that more and more people are mobile, more and more people are using mobile platforms, more and more people are using audio on mobile platforms, certainly more and more people are using uh, pure plays like Pandora and Spotify than they have in years past. Yet streaming of traditional radio stations on that platform is down. At a certain point, you need to ask, are we giving people what they want? And then the other question you need to ask is, rather than just say, well, radio's ability to expand its audience is the catalyst, that assumes that the business model you have is just fine. Your problem isn't you, is that you haven't scaled it enough, right? And I think eventually we need to ask, 
do we have the right business model for this, you know, multifaceted, multi-platform, multi-segmented, <laughs> multi-audience universe? Um, and I think the answer is clearly we do not. Another thing that um, uh, from this conference, this is the last part of this particular rant, um, a CEO of one of the broadcast companies said, getting relief on the number of stations we own can be the single most important thing that can happen in our industry. Now, there are rules, and the rules vary by market size, but you can only own a certain number of stations in any given market. If you're a radio broadcaster, you can only own so many. So what he's saying is, if only you let us own more, that would be the solution to our problem. Um, he actually said that... Um, I, can't, I didn't underline it, but that it's a, we're fighting for, yeah, here it is. We are fighting for survival. We are fighting for survival, Tom. <laughs> a $14 billion industry in terms of over-the-air revenue. We are fighting for survival because we don't own more stations. Now, you know what happens when you own more stations, right? You have to borrow money to buy more stations. When you do so, your, the, your models show you how we can function with fewer people, less overhead, because the advertising dollars are going to be the same, mm -hmm. right? Those aren't going up. Those are only going down. So you're essentially saying if we cut out the overhead, we can uh, pay back our, our, our lenders and we can have a functioning business going forward. And um, we can better compete with Facebook and Google and so on. And it's that last part that makes no sense to me because – it seems to me you're only paddling water with the same business model, fewer employees, right? Um, still more lenders. You're paying them off now. But the dollars to the industry are unchanged. You're only moving around the owners. So it's just very frustrating to me that this is the vibe in the industry right now. And it's basically, if only we get on more platforms, if only we, um, uh, we, we've already recognized that the content doesn't particularly matter. Nobody cares if it's any better than it is. Just give, it, give them this elsewhere <laughs> and with the same business model and everything will be fine. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, I, if you, <laughs> the whole technology argument it really cracks me up. I mean, I, I want you to imagine just for a second that there is no technology that God controls what you hear when you hear it, and it just comes through the air. How many people would be yelling out call letters of radio stations right now to hear that? It's not the technology. It's not the technology. They, they'd either be saying, play this song, play this artist. I want to hear this, you know, these guys. It's not the technology. It's never the technology. I mean, the technology can make, I mean, these guys view it as, well, the audience is there, we've got to be there too. And while that may be true, it doesn't matter if you're there, if people don't want what you have. <laughs> exactly. You know, you can be the worst store in the mall and that doesn't make you a better store. Look, if a free <laughs> range tree falls in the woods, it doesn't mean, <laughs> doesn't mean people are gonna hear it. <laughs> I have one other quick one, and this one's much, uh, much, much more of a rave. Um, so, Pepsi uh, put out a, uh, um, uh, a call for proposals from all the big media brands. They say, we want something clever. So into the fray walks AMC, who is, which is the network where you find The Walking Dead. And they came up with this wonderful app that uh, links to The Walking Dead. Here's, here's the description. Fans of the zombie drama will be able to download an app that will allow them to interact with some of the well-known walkers from popular episodes. The app will also let users capture more walkers while watching the series 
and by visiting Mountain Dew retail locations. Tom, you got to download this. This is the most amazing Oh, yeah, you played with it? Oh, I've played with it already. The promotion came to, uh, to life after AMC answered a request from PepsiCo. At certain points in the show, viewers will be able to use the app to capture walkers. Other walkers will be available to be captured at retail locations. Once captured, the walkers can be posed in pictures or programmed to attack the user. The whole experience is kind of circular in the sense that we drive to show people what that we, we dri will drive to show people watch the spot get a walker, which drives back to store <laughs> to get a different walker. They're shareable and postable on social media. Social's a big part of it. And above all, above all, and this goes back to the point that's been one of our themes throughout this podcast, above all, Tom, it is particularly fun. We yep. want the experience to be something the fan gets a unique, turnkey, quick experience out of. It's actually desirable. If you play with it, it is so much fun. You set it up, and there's the zombie on the screen with you. And I haven't figured out how to do a selfie with it, which <laughs> is, you know, I haven't figured that part out yet. But it, what a great tactic. And again, here's yet another campaign built around a piece of valuable intellectual property. It begins with the stuff that people care about and want to hear, want to see, uh, want to participate in, right? Yeah, and it's an idea, you know, where a couple of brands collaborated, somebody had an idea. I think there should be more and more of that instead of people sitting in little conference rooms by themselves trying to figure out what to do. Go out into the world and, and interact with all these other companies that are trying to figure out how to connect what they do to people as well and see if you can collaborate. That's right. There's money to be made in it. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes on Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at Art19, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special, special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Mr. Jeff Schmidt. Somebody called him the machine today. Somebody <laughs> said Jeff's the machine. Exciting audio from media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asecker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.